0: Good morning. My name is Ophelia Hu-Kinney, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am the worship coordinator here at Hope Gateway, and I'm honored to be able to share this message with you all today. So today we're gonna talk about a people going through something terrible and unprecedented together. And then later, we're gonna talk about us too, also going through something terrible and unprecedented together. So usually in a sermon, you're going to hear real-life examples illustrating the message you hear or the lesson that you're learning, but I don't really have much for examples today, and that's because the story from Scripture, I think, is so rich, and the real-life example I'd love for us to think about is the one that we're living through together right now. But first, let's hear from the Israelites who went through something like what we're experiencing today. In the book of Exodus, Exodus, we hear about the Israelites' journey out of Egypt, where they had been enslaved for over 200 years. So for over 200 years, their society existed under someone else's heel. Their wages, their children, and their futures were taken away from them. And suddenly, they won their freedom. So at first, freedom was exhilarating. It was unlike anything they'd known before. But for many, freedom was terrifying. And some of the Israelites asked Moses why he brought them out to wander through the desert. They would rather have died enslaved in Egypt, they said, than die of thirst in the wilderness. And that makes sense. I can't fault them for that. I'd imagine that after 200 years without choice, without life or liberty, but people can forget how to be in relationship with each other. When you get the chance to build your community from the ground up or from scratch, what do you even do? How do you begin? Well, the Israelites tried some ideas while they were in the wilderness. So first, for three months, they relied on their leader Moses for everything from water, food, and battle expertise to spiritual and relational advice. And they relied on their leader's connection to God for their own well-being, not trusting that they could have had this kind of spiritual authority themselves. So understandably, Moses is exhausted. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit, and he sees how the Israelite people were trying to create community in this kind of ragtag way. And he said, this isn't going to work out, Moses. They're going to kill you at this rate. So after three long months of journeying through the desert, the Israelites come to Mount Sinai and here's a description of their arrival according to chapter 19 of the book of Exodus. And you'll see it also on the slides if you're um, viewing the slides. The Israelites enter the desert of Sinai on the day of the third, on the day the third new moon appeared after the Israelites left Egypt. After departing from Rephidim, they entered into the desert of Sinai and set up camp out in the desert. The entire community of Israel camped right in front of the mountain of God. Moses climbed the mountain to meet with God, and the Eternal spoke to him from the mountain. The Eternal One says, this is what I want to say to the house of Jacob, to all the people of Israel. You are eyewitnesses of all that I did to the Egyptians. You saw how I snatched you from the bonds of slavery and carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will hear my voice, obey what I say, and keep my covenant, then you, out of all the nations of the world, will be my treasured people. After all, the earth belongs to me. You will be my kingdom of priests a nation holy and set-apart. Tell the Israelites exactly what I have told to you. My kingdom of priests, a nation holy and set-apart. This, out of a people who had only three months ago escaped from slavery, who had just left behind over two centuries of trauma, and who are still experiencing the hardship of being nationless, homeless, and with little idea about how to belong to themselves and to each other. It's in the midst of this that God asks Moses to come up the mountain and take down to the people what we now know as the 10 Commandments. So they are, you are not to serve any other gods before God, you are not to make any idol or image of other gods, you are not to use God's name for your own idol purposes, you and your family are to remember the Sabbath day, you are to honor your parents, you are not to murder, you are not to commit adultery, you are not to take what is not yours, you are not to give false testimony against your neighbor, and you are not to covet what your neighbor has. The gift that God gives to the Israelite people is a kind of foundational blueprint for not just a livable society, but the kind of nation that they could be, a nation of priests and a nation that is holy and that is about what God is about. Here in Maine, we're used to seeing that slogan on our signs that say, the way life should be. And I kind of imagine that this kind of borderless nation of people had a slogan of their own that said at this point, "The the way that life could be. That means a community of people who's spiritually empowered, who are spiritually empowered and disciplined to go to God with their burdens and to go to God with their hopes. And that would look like a community of people with a common set of aspirational rules. I think that this experience at the foot of Mount Sinai has a lot of lessons to teach us. And we could talk about them all day if we had the time, but let's just start with these two. First, God called all of the people, all of the Israelites, to consecrate themselves, which means to make themselves holy, sacred, set apart and ready to experience God. God wants all the people to not only be in right relationship with each other, but also with God. But second, the 10 commandments were given to the Israelites to protect them from themselves and each other. They were covenants or promises that the Israelites made as they strove to be a community. So, again, I want to stress this is the story of a people who came out of a collective traumatic experience that seemed endless. And we find them now dazed by the frightening prospect of freedom before them. Our world is also going through a collective traumatic experience that seems endless, right? But maybe that's kind of too big to comprehend. So, let's try to make this a little bit more personal. Our church is going through a collective traumatic experience. Your neighborhood is going through a collective traumatic experience. Your school is, and your family is. And the story of the Israelites receiving the 10 Commandments, this story asks us to consider first, what can God do in and through us if we consecrate ourselves, if we spend the time in communication with God at the foot of the mountain, in the midst of God's presence. And second, what promises can we make to each other? What covenants? So that we can be like a nation of priests, a people purposed for God's purposes. What vows can we make to one another so that our families, our schools, our neighborhoods, our church, and our world can be something even better, something holier than what it was? In what ways do we need to constrain our souls and our desires, perhaps for more money or power or control? What inside us needs to be curved? If that's greed, bitterness, or cynicism, And then in what ways do we need to be set free? When they were thrust out from slavery and into the wild, the Israelites came to understand the importance of their covenants. They began with no idea about how to be a society for each other, and they were given their covenants as a blueprint. They learned that they no longer belong to their enslavers, but in the absence of those enslavers, they had the chance to belong to God and to each other. I think that the word covenant, gets a bad rap among progressive Christians, especially. We're proud to have abolished some of the rules that weigh down, quote unquote, other Christians, like not having friends of different genders, not watching R-rated movies or not throwing away our LGBTQ youth. And I think we should be proud of that, right? But that doesn't mean that we should exist without covenants at all. We are what we stand for. And we are revealed not by the promises we make, but by whether we break or keep them. So wearing a mask during a, a pandemic, for example, is a covenant for now. A simple vow to keep one another safe, as is minimizing our time outside or eliminating our visits with each other, even and sometimes especially with loved ones. But after this time, after this pandemic, after this collective traumatic experience, we will have a new world that demands new rules. So what do we want them to be? How will we hold ourselves accountable to love God and to honor our siblings? What covenants could form the foundation of a nation, a world of priests? My friend has been teaching English in the Navajo Nation for many years. She's devoted to her craft, but this year she's thinking a lot less about whether everyone finishes Beowulf in time Her students are far flung across a rural nation where many families don't have internet access. And once a week, she gets to send them a packet on a school bus that drives from house to house. So this year, she's about her students' safety and mental well-being. So for example, maybe in the world to come, we can make a promise to keep protecting our young people's safety and mental well-being. And when this pandemic began, the world came to recognize, suddenly, the value of its teachers, service industry professionals, custodial staff, and other essential workers. So maybe in the world to come, we can vow to protect those whose professions have been maligned or overlooked. And we can follow that vow with adequate compensation and agency and decency. So what covenants could form the foundation of a nation of priests. I think some Christians think that we're living through the end times, and I don't think we are, but I do believe that we're living in apocalyptic times. The word apocalypse comes from the Greek word apokalouptain, and I don't know that I'm pronouncing that correctly, but maybe during coffee hour, one of the retired ministers can tell me how it's pronounced, but it means to uncover or to reveal. And whether we're ready to accept what we find, these days have uncovered and revealed us. And the call of the eternal one is this. Let us meet these days and those to come as a nation of priests, a people that is about God's kingdom as demonstrated through the life of Jesus the Christ. And that means we must be prophets or truth tellers, evangelists, or those who share good news, and disciples or learners that are hungry for wisdom. We are wandering through the desert for now, and we are coming to the foot of the mountain. We can leave this experience tied to our old loyalties, afraid to approach our creator, or we can be consecrated, empowered, ready to make and keep courageous covenants. May it be so. Amen.